Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a lone seagull. And I'm Kimono Wanashania. Welcome to episode 192, Just Another Night. Just Another Night! And oh, what another night it is. Uh, another night, another ordinary day, here in ECW. About, hmm, maybe... Two hours from Philadelphia? Probably something like that. It's the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, so Pennsylvania's up north. Yeah. Not real sure exactly how far they're away from each other. Yeah, we didn't do the Google Maps. Nope. Nope. MapQuest. But the reason <laughs> the show's basically a, called Just Another Night is because it's basically like an ECW house show. Yeah, they got out of they got out of town for a little bit. Got some other other you know they're not going to go far from yeah. Philly. They might go to New York City. They gave a drunk eight year old a camera and just let him run loose. I mean, might have been a little bit older than eight, but <laughs> probably definitely on the other two things, drunk he, and he, a fan. Yeah, yes. yeah, he definitely. There's no way he didn't drink up a Budweiser that night. Absolutely not. But this is the only just another night produced by ECW. It would take place on February 23rd, 1996, from the Briarcliff Fieldhouse in Glen Olden, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of 493 people. Hey, I mean, Philly is goes strong. They always have their, their 1,000 folks. Yes. You know, they, uh, extreme people live in Philly, whereas the not-so-extreme apparently live in uh, Glen Olden. Now, I don't know what the census of Glenn Olden was back in 1996, but I did look it up for the latest census that came out in 2022, 21, whatever, whatever that so was. So how many people actually live here? There's about 7,500 people that live in this town. Okay. So you got... In 2022. 500 of So you got about 5%, 25 years 5% ago. of the population, which probably was less than, but... Probably pretty good considering uh, that's probably a pretty. I mean, it's probably less than five percent for Philadelphia. I don't know what yeah, the, how many people live I mean, in Philadelphia. Millions of people that live in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying in like Philly, like how many people actually live in Philly? A thousand. I mean, they're a lot more than seventy-five hundred, I'd imagine. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. yeah, that's pretty good pull considering. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd. I noticed that earlier when I was kind of looking at stuff, and I was like, "That's good that's, research, Matt." That's actually pretty good percentage of the people that probably live there. Yeah, yeah. So, and as we said, this is a fan cam, but it was put onto the network Peacock, whichever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I still call it the network. Yeah, ninety percent of the time, it even is, though like I we have, all know what we're talking. I about. have Peacock because of the network. I wouldn't have Peacock otherwise, personally. That's probably the same way for me, too. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, and the, the bonus is that if I, some maybe sometimes I'll watch something on there. If there's a movie on there or whatever. I think I watched Big on there the other day. I was like, I feel, I'm going to watch Big. 
It's like, ah, it's on Peacock. Well, that was convenient. Got Halloween Ends that's premiering on there. You know what? I'll be watching... time this goes live on the uh, podcast channel... I'll be watching that, but I'll be be damned if Halloween Kills wasn't a piece of shit. It was a... (laughs) The first one was... I I liked it. I liked liked the first... The Halloween... I thought it was okay. Yeah. But, like, I didn't dislike it. Kills... Ugh. Do you guys want a hot take? I'm listening. I don't think the original Halloween is that great. I think it's it's not my favorite Carpenter movie, but I'm a big Carpenter fan. But I think that for a lot of people, they're just like, oh, this is kind of where like a thing was done so well that it's been aped so much that they have a hard time looking at it. Kind of like the Undertaker thing in the last episode where I'm like, Shane, did you watch this live? Because I just want to hear from somebody that... Saw before they saw somebody old, but before, but yeah, before they saw <laughs> clips of it or whatever. Whereas Halloween's kind of the same, but I do, I do yeah. love the first Halloween. Halloween kind of gets that, you know, it gets the love from people that oh, you did so great, you started all this, but then it also gets the same. Like I don't, I don't, you see, did this. I, I don't it's see your this. fault. We uh, have yeah. all these other movies. Now. I think, I think the other, the main <clears> thing is that, like with Matt, where he's like, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't see it, and it's like understandable. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I really liked Halloween Part Two. I'm a fan of Halloween Part Two as well, which a lot of people don't. A little care darker, for. a little grittier. I think it's just Jamie like, Lee in a funky wig. It's just uh, trashier. Yes, and I like trash. Yeah, somebody gets held underwater and their face boiled up. Uh huh. Season of the Witch guy right mm. here. Part Three. <laughs> really? I love Season of the Witch, and I could it's not so see. So bad that it's good. I could not see Matt being a Season of the Witch fan. I That's haven't great. watched that. In- Ever. So I, bad that it's good. I, I own it on Blu-ray. I like Season yeah. of the Witch. I own it, but I haven't watched it uh, since yeah. I was a kid. Since basically since Halloween Four came out in theaters, I have never watched Halloween Three again. Yeah. Well, we can't talk about this because I could talk about this for forty-five minutes. So we got to move on. Yeah. But um, Halloween Three is good and only gets better every time you watch it. Agreed. It's flawed, but it's good. <laughs> Let's hear about Shane's. Culinary trip around the world. Oh, brother. Yes. It's kind, of, it's kind of moved away from like the location specific. I have. Yeah, I ECW it, has forced me. For doing. <laughs> ECW has forced me to expand my search because there's only so much that I can get from Pennsylvania or to represent Pennsylvania on every other episode being ECW sometimes back to back and then WWF or WCW deciding that hey let's go to Pennsylvania just for the hell of it yeah this isn't the cheesesteak <clears throat> fucking wrestling show yes so yeah we are in Pennsylvania in Glen Olden and what I brought has absolutely nothing to do with the area it has to do with a certain member of the roster the previous wet suited man Yes, the previous wet-suited man, the beer-slinging, swilling, alcohol-loving, kendo-stick-swinging, cigarette-smoking, Metallica-walking-to-son-of-a-bitch-he-is. Zubaz-wearing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen sporting. of the podcast world, I present to you the cocktail known as the Sandman. Exit light. Clink. And tonight... Visually, much like the Sandman himself, it is not an attractive drink. I described it as looking more like Sandman's bathwater. Oof. And, yeah, it's 
<laughs> a shot of vodka with some triple sec, some lime juice, some pineapple juice, and then topped with Coca-Cola. Yes. Um, yeah, it has a really earthy tone to it as far as the color goes. And I... Flavor-wise... How do you describe the flavor of this? I mean, it's it's pineapple juice and Coca-Cola, which I've never had orange Coke. I've had vanilla lime Coke, and this... It's not my favorite, but it's not the worst drink ever. I mean, Matt's already yeah, finished basically his. Basically, if you like flavored Coke, you'll like this. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm a big fan of. But it is orange Coke. Yeah, it's like not. It's like it's not. It's not like a when you take a lemon and squeeze it into a Coke. Yeah. Because it's some other stuff. In I'm there. convinced though, if this drink was clear or had an orange or golden tint to it. It probably wouldn't taste as bad in my mind. It's a mind over matter thing. It's just, it's an ugly drink that I'm trying to drink, but it doesn't taste bad. It's just my brain can't wrap my mind around the fact that I'm drinking something called the Sandman that looks like something he stuck his feet in. Yeah. It, it, it uh, doesn't taste like it. No, no. It tastes, tastes it's, fine. It's very refreshing, mm-hmm. yeah. actually. But it does, it is not a pretty drink <laughs> at all. Yeah. The... Like, don't expect a picture of this one. No. I, I honestly... There's just, there's just no way to make it. I did not way. take a picture. Did you guys, have either of you ever seen the movie Gummo? No. Heard of it. Yeah. Uh, I think you've probably talked about it. A lot, times. probably. I love that movie. Um, it's pretty disturbing, but there's a scene where everybody in the movie is basically poor, living in squalor, but there's a scene where there's a small child in a bathtub, uh, and he's like, you know, his mom's making him take a bath or whatever, and his bath water looks yep. like this, and then she brings him a plate of spaghetti to eat in the bathtub. <laughs> I, I never ate spaghetti in the bathtub, but growing up in small town Nebraska, there was many times that my mom went to go turn on the bathtub, and that's the color of the water that came out. Oh, that it came out? Like, I just assumed the kid was dirty. No, it was it was just rusty water come out because yeah. they had bled the the fire hydrants or whatever, so it was like barrel of the bottom, or bottom of the barrel, mm. minerally. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if you haven't seen Gummo, uh, and you don't have... Uh, Oh, a weak stomach, or you have a strong mind. <laughs> Highly suggested. Strong stomach, strong mind here. I'm mm-hmm. sure I could handle it. Yeah. It's I upsetting in an, in an exciting way. But, Sandman, bath water tastes better than it looks. Yes. Much better. Yes. Just add ice. It actually helps. <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, something that would happen right around the same time as Just Another Night... We, we talked about One Sweet Day we did. Uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I never quite realized when we talked about it how long it was at the top, and I understand why Shane hates it so much now. No, I mean, I love this song. Oh, but... who is it? No, that's I'm thinking of a different friend who hates this song. Okay. I apologize. But I understand why somebody would hate this song so much because of how long it was on the radio. It's Griff. You guys know Griff. Yes. He hates this song. <laughs> it was number one on the charts for 16 weeks. 16. But this week... Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me would finally surpass it. You think... Oh, Celine. Do you think that this, her beating out this song, is the reason that she got pulled to do a song for Titanic? No, it's, she got pulled to do a song for Titanic because she's Celine fucking Dion. Yeah, but I'm just saying like uh, this is like... She just won the Grammy for Album of the Year for her album before Titanic. But yeah, but that's this album, right? Huh. No, this song oh. is from... Oh, what's the movie that's from? But this Up is Close and Personal. Thank you. Okay. Robert Redford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, but either way, she's been, uh, she's been banging it out for a while and that's why. And this is a cover. 
Isn't it? I think so. Okay. I think there's a Johnny Mathis. No, it's not a cover because she was nominated, or Diane Warren, I think, wrote this one and was nominated for uh, an Oscar for it, and they only nominate originals. I think that it's a Johnny Mathis song. It's a Johnny Johnny Mathis actually does the cover as well. But did he? He. It's a studio. He does a studio album. It's the songs of Diane Warren. Oh, so it's Johnny Mathis album from way later. I assumed that it would be earlier, just because it was Johnny Mathis. Because it's in he's a Johnny Mathis album from '98. That's crazy, huh? Weird. Oh. oh, this song. I heard this song way too many times because not only did they play the video of it at Blockbuster, then Up Close and Personal was coming out on video, so you got to have this song playing in the background while they were talking about that fucking movie. Yeah, I don't know. I love I don't... Robert Redford, I love Michelle Pfeiffer, but the two of them together in that movie, it was just too much. A little, too, a little too much? A little too much. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, both of them as well. I've never seen that movie. Never even really hear anybody talk about it, but I know this song because it went number one. Yeah. And I can hear the end of that chorus. But now, I think Celine got picked for Titanic also because she had the Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Yeah, she never she'd already had a Beauty and the Beast yeah. song. She had this song. So, I mean, yeah, she, she was, was already kind of like nailing the, nailing the movie song thing anyway Johnny Mathis does Unbreak Your Heart on that trip on that Diane Warren album as well I bet he doesn't quite do it I didn't realize Diane Warren wrote Unbreak My Heart that Tony Braxton song is so good Mm -hmm. Tony Braxton is so hot Diane Warren's written more songs than you can think of oh yeah she's actually like, if Randy Newman had a sister, it would be Diane Warren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except for she's not doing satire the whole time. She's a little more earnest. I mean, her first, first big hit was Rhythm of the Night. Oh, oh wow. wow. Turn Back Time, Because You Can Love Me, How Do I Live, Leanne Rhymes. She wrote If I Could Turn I don't Back wanna Time. Miss, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yeah, like, I knew oh, she had that holy one. Holy shit. She's a machine. I need to learn more about Diane Warren. She's got some I guess, some her skills. First, I guess her first hit was Solitaire. Laura Branigan. Okay. Laura Branigan. There's she got, she got the, anymore. She got the nickname the Emily Dickinson of pop. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. co-wrote songs for Mariah Carey. Mm-hmm. Damn. She wrote songs for Beyonce. You're a pop star. You've probably had a Diane Warren song written for you. Michael you, Bolton, you want one. Michael Bolton has recorded 24 songs that were written by Warren. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Hell yeah, Diane Warren. You go, girl. Absolutely. Right. And we only say this. Because we love you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out if we love Just Another Night. I mean, it's Just Another Night. Is it, though? So we get a title screen before going straight to our first match of J.T. Smith and Joel Hartgood versus the bad crew of Dog and Rose. And after the announcement, J.T. takes the mic, wanting to make Joel a paisan. So he tries to teach him a dance move, but it doesn't go so well. So Smith does several moves, including a moonsault, all while using a chair to leave Hartgood leg. <laughs> JT then walks to the back, that shifty Italian, allowing the bag crew to attack Joel with right hands, a back body drop, a tiger driver, a top rope senton, a power bomb, and a top rope splash for the pin. 
and the win. J.T. Smith did all the things he knew he could pull off. And then the Back bad crew, crew showed just... everything that they could do. <laughs> Absolutely. And the overkill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Post-match, Sandman comes down to the ring, laying out everybody with their king, taking the mic to scream into it, You want to see extreme? And all 493 will say, Yes, please. We want blood. Yes, sir, Mr. Sandman, sir. Sandman then leaps over the ropes with the cane onto Heartgood as well to finish us off. You mean Sandman came out just because to pop the crowd? Sandman showed us everything he can do. I mean, mm-hmm. Sandman is basically the 911 now. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, at least he got a God. championship before. Remember how well booked 911 was, even though we kind of hated him after a while? Yeah. If only they would have done that for Wardlow. Moving on. Our second match <laughs> the fabulous ones of Stevie Richards and Blue Meanie versus the Pitbull of number one and number two with Francine. And the Fab Ones do some dancing before the Pitbulls make their way out to the ring. I'm a fan of Franny's new ring outfit. I'm sure you are. <laughs> She's but a one... Pitbull. Pitbulls wear leather. <laughs> but once the match gets going, number two press slams Stevie, causing him to roll to the apron, where number two slingshots him back into the ring. Number one with a turnbuckle smash, and he whips Richards from corner to corner, followed by chokes and an arm wrench hook kick. Number two comes back in with a spinning heel kick into the corner, followed by number one delivering a belly-to-belly suplex on Stevie in a drop-toe hold on Meanie, while number two comes in off the top rope with a knee drop to Blue Meanie as well. The fight spills out to the floor, where the pit bulls use chairs in the guardrail to punish the fab ones. But once back in the ring, the pit bulls hit a double-team back elbow on Meanie, but he recovers to nail an avalanche splash in the corner on number two. I love that since it's a fan cam or whatever, you can hear some of the crowd and somebody yells, Oh my God! And on commentary, it's recorded later, Joey Styles recognizes his impersonator. He's like, Hey, that's my line, pal. That's <laughs> <laughs> very funny. Blue Mini with a body slam for a two count. Richards with a big boot and a turnbuckle smash on number two but then charges into a corner, only for number two to avoid. And he goes for a double axe handle, where he's met by a Stevie kick, followed by a Stevie kick to number one as well. Meanie then tags in to choke number two on the ropes, and he nails a clothesline, before bringing Richards back in to rub number two's face in Blue Meanie's ass. Ugh. I mean, better Sandman's bathwater than Meanie's. (laughs) Just saying. Beggars yeah. wish they were choosers. Stevie's choking number two across the ropes, and he follows it up with a powerbomb, making the cover, but number one distracts the ref, so it's only a two count. Meanie then hits a body slam, and he goes up top for a moonsault. Don't do it! But number two avoids, and he crawls to the corner for the hot tag! It never works, Meanie. Number, works. number one with right hands to everyone, a double noggin knocker, turnbuckle smashes and headbutts to the Richards before a double team whip of Blue Meanie into Richards in the corner. 
the Pitbulls then wipe Stevie's face into Meanie's ass. Oh, Sloppy no. seconds. Before they deliver a heart attack to him. Yeah, yeah act like you've been there before. <laughs> Send him over the ropes into the floor. The Pitbulls then superbomb Blue Meanie for the pin. And, and no, no end. Post-match, Richards goes to give CPR to Meanie. But instead of to the chest, he does it to Meanie's dick before giving him mouth-to-mouth that wakes up the Blue Meanie. They're working on their comedy routine. They're, they're switching to naughty improv if wrestling doesn't work out. Yeah. And we're headed to our third match. Bill Alfonso with Taz versus Todd Gordon with Bam Bam Bigelow. I've got an idea of why this match exists. So Bam Bam takes the mic to tell the human suplex machine something before attacking him, taking him to the floor to brawl while Fonzie and Todd brawl inside the ring. Bigelow face plants Taz into a chair, slams his head on a table, and delivers several forearms across the head. Gordon's choking and stomping Alfonso in the ring before grabbing a cookie sheet to use over the head of Fonzie multiple times before making a cover. But the human suplex machine has broken free from Bam Bam to break it up. Taz then knocks out Todd with a right hand, placing Alfonso on top for the pin and the win. Post-match, the human suplex machine brings a chair into the ring for Fonzie to use on Gordon, followed by Taz using it several times on Bigelow, only for Bam Bam to no-sell, sending the human suplex machine and Alfonso hustling to the back. I mean, it's nice to see Bam Bam, but it's also nice for there to be somebody with the credentials for Taz to kind of, you know, play off of as opposed to him being so dominant all the time. It's a nice little mix em up. Yes. And yeah, good to see Bam Bam standing across the ring from somebody that isn't just a million dollar corporation lackey. Yeah. And Taz is like, you know, Bam Bam was the agile guy, but Taz is not Taz is big, but he's not that he's not he's stocky, but he's not Big, big. So, like, him and Bam Bam could potentially be fun, because how the fuck is he going to suplex fucking... He can't human suplex machine Bam Bam Bagel. Plus, it's uh, definitely an upgrade on his feud with 911. Yes, yes. absolutely. 911 served his purpose slam. well, but if they really... With the build that 911 had, if he could have actually worked, they just should have put him at the fucking top. But that's another conversation that... Uh, Really isn't worth having. We'll never have again. <laughs> yeah. So we go to our fourth match. The Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus versus the Dudley Brothers of Bubba Ray Dudley and Dances with Dudley with Sign Guy Dudley, Chubby Dudley, and Big Dick Dudley for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. The champs came out first. Foreshadowing... So Bubba goes out into the crowd to dance and take pictures while the Eliminators are taking out all of the other brothers until Dances With hits a back body drop on Perry. Cronus responds immediately with a thrust kick followed by total elimination on Dances With 
knocking him out. Oof. Is this the first time we saw the Illuminators come out with like Road Warrior esque gear? I'm trying to remember because I thought their their gear looked different. Yeah. I feel like you said I if I wrote a no- yeah, I feel like if I wrote a note about it, it might be the first time. But they have some Road Warrior esque pad type thing yeah. going on, and then. You got Perry Saturn looking like the badass Perry Saturn should look like without all the long hair. He's got his hair cut. Mm-hmm. He's looking more Saturn-esque. They're doing, it's like, it makes sense that they probably both should have had long hair at the start. Because the Pitbulls, bald guy, long hair. Now it's like, well, they're both pretty great, but they <laughs> kind of look the same. Yeah, Got to freshen them up somehow. Yeah. Big Dick gets in the ring and he uses his crutch across the Eliminator's back before hitting a choke slam on Saturn. And officials come out and clear ringside of all of the Dudleys, leaving Bubba Ray alone in the ring with the Eliminators, where they hit a double shoulder tackle to knock him down. The Eliminators go for a double suplex, only for Bubba to reverse, followed by a double clothesline, a turnbuckle smash on Perry, a drop kick to John, but Saturn recovers to bulldog Bubba Ray down. Perry keeps up the attack with a leg drop and a double-team shoulder block to gain control. And the Eliminators hit a double-team Russian leg sweep before Cronus delivers a body slam, followed by a Saturn splash off the top rope. John heads up top for a splash before Perry holds Bubba up for a clothesline, only for Dudley to duck, causing Saturn to take the blow. Bring back the Russian leg sweep. Bring back the, uh, somebody needs to, some tag team should bring back Total Elimination, fuck it. Well, it's a high-low from... Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Oh, shit. they're I, yeah. technically not a thing anymore, because yeah. Bobby Fish isn't in AEW anymore. Yeah, but... yeah. I, uh, never watched a lot of... I mean, they, yeah, this was pretty sick. stuff. I'm Undisputed, sure it was it was, they called it high-low. Yeah. Cronus continues with kicks and chokes across the ropes before the Eliminators hit a double spinning heel kick, followed by a back elbow from Perry and a handspring back elbow from John. Hack Myers, all of a sudden, is on the apron, and he makes the tag and starts laying out the Eliminators with left hands and a double clothesline. Great, we've got a Hack Meyer Dudley now. Woo! Hack keeps up the attack with elbows and a double noggin knocker that puts the Eliminators laying on the apron, where Myers delivers a leg drop across both their heads. Bubba Ray's back up to help, whipping the Eliminators into each other, allowing Bubba Ray to go for a Bubba Bomb, only for Saturn to block and hit a spinning kick, but he then runs into a sidewalk slam. Cronus then backbody drops Hack over to the floor while this is happening allowing him to break up the pin attempt, before tossing Dudley to the floor as well. The Eliminators then double-team Myers, hitting a low blow before delivering total elimination for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I mean, honestly, uh, Hack Dudley, pretty funny name. Funnier than Dances with Dudley. <laughs> because, you know, he's a bit of a hack. And again, we have somebody joining a match they're not in, and the match continuing. <laughs> I just, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, we know the score. It's a uh, dream it's, logic. It's called yes. Bubba's not taking a pin, guys. Yeah, exactly. He's not taking a pin, but dancers with couldn't have taken a pin. Are you kidding me? 
Maybe he was actually hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah, that's probably a good point. He could have actually gotten hurt, and that was the idea. You know. So we go to our fifth match. The Sandman versus Axel Rotten. Say, I guess it is, like we said, just another night. It is a house show. Sandman does his usual long entrance. Where he looks to get a cigarette lit. So some guy in the crowd lights a match for him. Only for Sandman to just blow it out. There's <laughs> Mama Missy. Good. She's not coming to Glen Olden. <laughs> she didn't get paid enough for this shit. Her, her services were paid for elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Axel comes out and he takes a crutch from a fan to be on equal standing with the Sandman. Who of course has his kendo stick. But he ends up handing it back. The crowd wants Sandman to use the cane, only for him to give it to the ref. But Rotten wants the cane to be taken to the back. But the ref's like, well, we'll just, we're just going to leave it right here. Yeah, also, you just used a crutch or whatever. That felt seemed pretty fair. So the two men fill each other out to start until Sandman hits a clothesline before tossing Axel out to the floor, where Sandman leaps over the ropes with an elbow drop. Rotten recovers to run Sandman into a guardrail multiple times, using a frying pan over his head, until Sandman reverses a whip to send Rotten into a guardrail. Right into the first row uh, next to a five-year-old. And I was like, ugh, don't bring your kid to the ECW show. Sandman brings Axel back into the ring to whip and choke Rotten with a leather strap. Sandman then tosses Axel back into the crowd, where they head towards the wall of the gym so that Sandman can drop a fan onto Rotten. Yeah, as well as tall, you know, rotating yeah. <laughs> rotating fans. Before some more Not a person. leather strap shots. Axel's thrown into some chairs, but he comes back to do the same to the Sandman before taking him back to ringside to ram the Sandman into the ring post. Posted. Sandman sent into the crowd again. Where Rotten takes him towards a wall, but the camera can't keep up with the action. So the same man is laid out once we get there. Drunk eight-year-olds, I'm telling you. <laughs> Axel looks to dump a trash can on the same man, only to be blocked, and the trash can ends up on Rotten. Sandman makes a cover, but the ref explains that he has to get Axel back in the ring. So Sandman drags him back towards the guardrail, where the Sandman runs back into the ring to get a running start to leap over the ropes with an elbow. One side of the crowd is chanting, Over here! <laughs> it's probably the only side that they haven't gone to. Yep. So the Sandman brings the fight to that side of the building, taking apart the guardrail before running rotten into it. The Sandman then directs the fans to dismantle the guardrail, throwing a piece of it into the ring, before throwing Axel into the ring as well. The Sandman then suplexes the guardrail onto rotten, before setting the railing against the ropes. We want blood. Only to have his whip attempt reversed, sending Sandman into the steel. Axel continues to ram the Sandman into the guardrail until he counters to suplex Rotten onto the railing. Sandman then tries for an elbow drop, but Axel moves, so he hits the steel instead, hurting his arm. So Rotten begins to work that over. Sandman finally kicks Axel away to escape, but Rotten comes right back with a DDT 
before applying an arm breaker momentarily. Wild. Axel then grabs the Sandman's beer and begins to taunt him with it, taking a swig, but then he sets it down to go grab the kendo stick, allowing the Sandman to take a drink as well. No. And we all know what that means. It's, I mean, it's his spinach. Yeah, Sandman up time, or whatever. <laughs> Dust the sand off. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Beer up? Mm-hmm, it's the... Sand hole cups? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that Axron's about to experience domestic assault. <laughs> Rotten, Rotten takes way too long grabbing the kendo stick, so the Sandman is able to kick it away, picking it up himself and using it several times before going up top for a diving leg drop for the pin and, and the win. Post-match, the Sandman takes the mic and gives respect to Axel, saying he's the only man who has gone toe-to-toe with him. The same man then hands him the beer, where Rotten chugs away, before handing it back, which the Sandman finishes off. I love the crowd. Somebody just yells, Chris Farley! (laughs) 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 But yeah, obviously they were told not to bleed in this gym. First Axel Rotten match without blood. I don't know if it's the first one. But it's one, it's... There's you. Yeah, well, there's more. The ratio yeah. is in favor of juice. We then go to our sixth match. Cactus Jack versus Bam Bam Bigelow. The king of the WWFNF. And Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie come down to the ring and take the mic. Telling Jack that since he is leaving soon, that they would give him a present. They could all do the Fargo strip together. <laughs> Matt Strutton, guys. I know it's only audio, but he's pretty good at it. <laughs> Matt is a man uh, that does have natural rhythm. He do. As the three of them finish hugging, Bam Bam charges in with a double clothesline to the not-so-fabulous ones, knocking them out to the floor before turning his attention to Cactus Jack. And Jack takes the mic saying they weren't hurting anybody before calling out Bigelow as a WrestleMania main eventer, but that he's about to go and become an even bigger star. Prophecy fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fun to see these guys cross paths as he one just left. three bigger stars. Yeah. As Bam Bam <laughs> leaves and, you know. Bam Bam is very memorable, but just for, you know, he had a great look. Nothing to take away from his work, but, you know. Cactus Jack continues that they don't need to put their careers on the line tonight. Let's just leave as friends. I don't want to hurt you. You don't want to hurt me. But Bam Bam steals the mic away, telling him that when Jack gets up north, he'll be a lot like them, pointing at Blue Meanie, saying Vince told him he had a job at WrestleMania, but he doesn't have to here. And Bigelow goes right after Jack, who tries to run away, but he's pulled back into the ring, where Bam Bam lays it in with back elbows, headbutts, right hands, and a clothesline. Bigelow then charges into a big boot, allowing Jack to nail several kicks and right hands of his own, before Stevie gets involved as well, with some choking. Kinky. Bam Bam fires back with four arms, only to have his eyes raked, before Cactus Jack delivers the double arm DDT for the pin, and no, no, Bigelow kicks out. 
Jack then hits a running clothesline into the corner, but he telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Bam Bam to hit a clothesline of his own for the pin and the win. Post-match, Richards and Blue Meanie jump in the ring to attack, with Bigelow fighting off all three men. Stevie nails a Stevie kick, but Bam Bam's right back up to punch Richards out of the ring. Taz then rolls in, attacking Bigelow, where he hits a T-bone suplex and locking on the Taz mission. Got him in a suplex. Cactus Jack meets everyone that comes running down to help with a double-arm DDT, including El Puerto Requano, Joel Hartgood, Hack Myers, and others. And Bigelow is completely out. How offensive would it be for you to name those men and then you to be one of the others? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, it's, it's good to be at least acknowledged. Yeah. With, as, with your peer group. Yeah, as somebody's uh, shitty uncle once said, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> Bubba Ray hits the ring, only to receive a Stevie kick and a double arm DDT as well. Alfonso finally gets the human suplex machine to relent before heading to the back with Jack and the not-so-fabulous ones. Nice to see Taz and Bigelow interact. Cactus Jack is doing a great job of towing the line. Of being, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a uh, chicken shit heel that will deliver. Right. Good stuff. It's good shit, man. So we move to our seventh match: Two Cold Scorpio versus Sabu for the ECW World Television Championship. And the champion came out first. Foreshadowing. Two Fat Scorpio is about to be. Uh, Zero champ Scorpio? I don't know. My joke awesome. didn't work. But I tried. I got it. Yeah, I mean I'm sure I'm sure you got I'm it. I'm sure there's people out there that got it. Uh-huh. So Two Cold takes the mic to say it's round two. Because if you remember the last time we saw him, they did a thirty minute draw. Yeah, it was good. We liked it. That's right. And he's gonna pick this up right where they left it off, with me kicking your butt. Sabu hits a leg drag to start. Before a pose off and a cheap shot from the homicidal one, followed by a scoop slam and a slingshot leg drop. Scorpio's whipped to the corner where he attempts to leap up and over, only to slip on the ropes, so the crowd jumps on him with a You fucked up! Too cold recovers to hit an arm wrench hook kick, a body slam, and a standing somersault leg drop, before trying a spinning heel kick, which the homicidal one ducks. And delivers one of his own, followed by a standing drop kick to send Scorpio rolling out to the floor. I mean, the boys are doing it. Sabu hits a baseball slide and a tope suicida to keep up the attack, before sending Too Cold into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Scorpio begins to work the arm when the homicidal one jumps on his shoulders to deliver a sunset flip for a two count. And we're five minutes into this match now, as Too Cold goes back to working the arm, before trying for a powerbomb, only for Sabu to counter into another sunset flip for a near fall. A tilt-a-whirl head scissors by the homicidal one, who then ducks an insiguri by Scorpio, allowing Sabu to lock on a camel clutch, only for Too Cold to crawl 
his way to the ropes before kicking the homicidal one low to regain control. Scorpio continues with a handspring back elbow, right hands in the corner, when the ref stops him. So Tukol goes to throw Molyneux off, only to be arm-dragged by the ref, allowing Sabu to come out with a spinning heel kick to send Tukol out to the floor. Arm-dragged by the ref? Yeah, that ref's not having it. No. So he's like, I'll, just, fucking around. I'll do just do a basic wrestling move to you as well. They do it different in Goldenrod or wherever we are. <laughs> Glenn Olden. Mm. The homicidal one leaps over the ropes with a somersault plancha. But Scorpio catches him, but they just end up falling down to the concrete. Sabu then sets up a table on the guardrail, slamming two colds head into it, followed by flying through the ropes with a tope suicida onto Scorpio. Oh my god! A little bit uh, earlier, I believe, when two cold caught the caught Sabu with the boot to the uh, face uh, you could hear a five minute call and I think the fans booed because they kind of had an assumption that I did oh that kind of a five minute call I thought you meant like somebody talking in the background yeah yeah but I don't know we'll see how this we we'll see how this uh, turns out the homicidal one adjusts the table to bridge from the apron to the guardrail followed by the two men slamming each other's head into the table before rolling back into the ring. Scorpio with a thrust kick, and he sets up a chair in the middle of the ring, before face-planting Sabu onto the steel. I feel like maybe the most dangerous thing to do in ECW at this point is to set up a chair in the middle of the ring. <laughs> but hey, it worked out this time. Too cold goes for an air Sabu, only for the homicidal one to move and hit one of his own, followed by an Arabian moonsault. For a two count. You can't air Sabu the air sabu or Sabu then goes up top and he comes off only to meet Scorpio's boot to his jaw, followed by Too Cold delivering a nasty looking pile driver. Be careful with him. He broke his neck a year or two ago. Right? Scorpio heads up top for a moonsault, but he doesn't make the cover. Instead whipping the homicidal one to the ropes, charging in after only to be back body dropped over to the apron in front of the table that was set up. The two men are trading strikes when Sabu charges into a big boot, allowing Too Cold to make it back into the ring to nail a turnbuckle smash. But he is then back body dropped out to the apron again, where they trade strikes once more. Scorpio is dazed by one of the homicidal one's kicks causing him to back away. So Sabu leaps over the ropes with a running crossbody to send them both through the table. ECW. Back in the ring, the homicidal one delivers a slingshot leg drop for a two count, and he takes two cold to the top to nail a Frankensteiner for a near fall. Sabu tries for another slingshot leg drop, but Scorpio avoids this one. Follows it up with a thrust kick and a top rope twisting splash, but again decides to not go for a pinfall. Too Cold hits a powerbomb, then laughs it up with a fan in attendance, showing him his backslide before hitting a back suplex on the homicidal one. 
Two minutes remaining as Scorpio nails a tombstone pile driver. And he heads up top for a 450 splash. But he wastes his time before making a cover. So it's only a two count. One minute remaining as Two Cold sets Sabu on the top turnbuckle for a super back suplex. Only for the homicidal one to counter in midair to land on top. But he's hurt too bad to capitalize quickly enough. So it's only for a two count. Sabu then hits an Arabian face buster as the bell rings for the time limit draw. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we saw this and it was great. And this was good too, but they're just running it back on the town, the town across town, the, the, the venue across town. Post-match Scorpio outstretches his hand in a sign of respect, followed by lifting each other's hands until Too Cold clotheslines the homicidal one down. But he recovers to hit a baseball slide to the back of Scorpio while he's sitting on the apron, followed by a tope suicida. The two men then brawl their way to, to the, the locker back. room. Brawl to the back. They brawl to the high school shower. <laughs> yeah, we almost had another feel-good moment of respect between competitors. Uh, no, but, you know, they got in his beer. They got to put him in a cage or put him in a uh, like a big, you know, a big. Pay-per-view show. This or is just, just another night chain. Or just put them in a tag team. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm waiting for the RVD salute tag team. <laughs> One of my favorite fucking things that came out of ECW. So we go to our eighth match. Raven with Kimono Wadalea. Shania. Stevie Richards. And the Blue Meanie. Versus the franchise. Shane Douglas. For the ECW World Heavyweight, Heavyweight Championship. And on a side note here, just since the last time we recorded, Raven has been inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame. Oh. Good for you, Scotty. Way to go, Mr. Polo. Yes, I was like, what's the other name? Mr. Flamingo. Mm-hmm. But the champion did come out first. Foreshadowing. I'm having a hard a time. This time. I'm having a hard time believing the foreshadowing. But I think it's the smart thing because they're on the house show, so like we're gonna try to get the crowd, to, you know, the crowd that kind of knows to notice that like maybe they should keep their eyes open. Or it's they have a bunch of heel champions. Yeah. Yeah. Pop is, it's like fuck you, man. Yeah. Sandman got to have a twelve minute entrance. I want the same thing. Raven's got one. It's not as interesting. Same. He sulks in the corner yeah. and cuddles his girlfriend like a loser. <laughs> You're not going to sleep you with Tommy, are you? If you could. At home. You're not going to sleep with Tommy, are you? Not in the wrestling ring. Hey. Job's job, man. So the franchise. 50 takes... bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> the franchise takes the mic to let everyone know that Raven has something that belongs to him the world title. And the fan cam keeps checking out Kimona's ass, as it should. And Joey reminds them that it's their wrestling that everyone is here for. Yeah, like, even ECW, even ECW at this point, like, when they're at home, their cameras are not as lewd as this guy's being. And, uh, honestly, their cameras are still not, have not been as lewd as WWFs have been recently and will become in the future. Yeah. So we get a long feeling out process to start with Shane whipping Raven all around the ring before punching him down for a two count. But Raven rolls out to the floor to regroup. 
Douglas then springboards off the ropes with a crossbody onto Meanie and Stevie, which allows Raven to attack from behind. And Raven tosses the franchise into the guardrail several times, hits a chair shot before going for a DDT, only for Shane to block and reverse into a vertical suplex on the concrete. Take that, Raven. Richards comes over to check on Raven and telling him to take the count-out loss, but decides against it, allowing Douglas to drag him to the apron to bring Raven into the ring the hard way. It's funny that Raven, the guy that, like, wouldn't do nothing physical for, like, the first six months in ECW, is like, no, I must fight. (laughs) The franchise keeps up the attack with mounted punches, but a low blow sends Shane tumbling out to the floor. And Brian Pillman makes his way out to ringside with a camera and a press pass. Is he taking over as our cameraman? While Raven sets up a chair in the ring where he drags Douglas back in, only for the franchise to reverse a whip and drop toll hold Raven into the chair for a near fall. And Pillman starts distracting Shane with repeated camera flashes to the eyes, so security goes to remove Brian with Douglas trying to go after Pillman. He's a real rascal. And the franchise finally gets back into the ring, only to be DDT'd onto the chair for the pin. And no, no, Shane kicks out. Raven's whipping Douglas from corner to corner, but he charges into a big boot, followed by the franchise using the chair over the back. Raven then pulls the ref in the way to avoid more chair shots allowing him to recover for another DDT. Raven's working smart. Raven sets up for another DDT onto the chair, but Shane rams Raven into the corner, where the ref is taken down by both of them. Ref bump. Stevie runs into the ring to attack, hitting a DDT of his own, followed by Blue Meanie coming off the top with a Meanie Salt, only for Douglas to move out of the way. Who would have known? Anytime Meanie gets on... The top rope, you can say, foreshadowing, because like he's never landed that thing. He's landed it he's, once. He has landed it once because you have to get it over the first time. The franchise then delivers belly to belly suplexes to both Richards and Meanie before one on Raven as well. Shane then drags Kimona into the ring to drape her across his knee to spank her, which allows Raven to recover and attack from behind for a two count. I mean. Yep. Why? What is she going to do? She's like 5-1. She's going to stop in the middle of this match so I can spank your girl's ass. Yeah. Gotcha. No, 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 I'm pretty sure that uh, Chris Jericho had a uh, tryst with her. Yeah, she did. <laughs> I haven't read the book, but I've heard about it. Raven whips Douglas to the corner, and he charges in with chair in hand. Only to receive a big boot followed by a drop kick from the franchise into the chair that was in front of Raven's face. Shane grabs the chair and starts hammering Raven across the back when Cactus Jack would hit the ring. So Douglas hits him with a chair shot and a double arm DDT. Take that! Richards is back in the ring to hit a Stevie kick, followed by Raven planting the franchise onto the chair with a DDT for the pin and And the the win. win. Can I ask you, how many DDTs did Shane Douglas take in this match? I did not count. Yeah, like five or six. (laughs) 
at least five. Oh, I was just being a mostly. I didn't really need an answer, no, okay. but I was just like, it was just funny because it was like this guy got DDT yeah. the shit. They DDT the shit out of him. Post match, the fabulous one makes a wish with Shane's legs before holding him while Raven grabs the chair. When Sandman would come down to the ring. Everybody's here. Hitting everybody with cane shots. Sandman for the save again, eh? Douglas grabs the mic saying that when it comes to the world title, one of these don't belong. Sandman, the franchise, and Raven. The answer is the name of the cocktail we started the show with. Shane offers an alliance with the Sandman to rid ECW of Raven and his nest. When the Fabulous Ones would return, only to be taken down by chair and cane shots from the two men. Douglas and Sandman then share a beer to seal the deal on the newly formed alliance. And Joey says his goodbyes as we fade Fade to black. So it looks like, potentially, we'll be getting some Sandman and Shane Douglas tag teams against Stevie and Raven. Probably. With Blue Meanie and Fuckery. So do Sandman and Shane Douglas get a name for their partnership? Is there any label that's put on them? Okay. The franchise? I, I don't know. That's, but that's the, what I was thinking. Something something like, like that. <laughs> it's really bad. But I'm just saying, like, the Fran the, Man. Man. <laughs> the Fran Man's, the Fran Man's <laughs> the best one. But the... It's just, it seems so, so like... What's their ship name, guys? <laughs> I mean, you got the two dudes with attitudes. Uh-huh. You got the fabulous ones. You, yeah, they've, they've got to have something. Yeah, how about... Well, I don't know how to put it, but I wanted to make something about, like, the... Beauty the, and the Beast. The worker and the jobber, basically. <laughs> the lucky, yeah, the, the lucky jobber and the underserved worker. I don't know how to turn that into one name that sounds good, but that's the idea I'm going for, because one of these guys... I'm with stupid. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Shane Douglas is a good, a, a good, good wrestler, a very good wrestler, and uh, Sandman cannot perform a leg drop. Save Sandman can't even light his own fucking cigarette. <laughs> no, he uses ladies for that. Or so I ask you, gentlemen, in the audience, <laughs> what are your overall thoughts of just another night? It wasn't a horrible show, but at the same time, all I could think while I was watching this was, Matt, why are you making me watch this? Because nothing really happened. I have a similar feeling, but I will say that it's nice to see a show that's less extreme. It was nice to see, see, like, I feel like that even though we've seen most of these matches before or versions of them, they didn't there was a little bit more wrestling in each match because they weren't bleeding. So it felt like it kind of moved quicker because they were forced to work more than they were to brawl. So, you know, no blood, no like frying pans and telephones and Nintendos. Like it was, it felt more like a like capital W wrestling show. So even though... It's not a necessary watch. It is nice to see these guys kind of forced out of their Fly element. Their trade. Yes, exactly. As opposed to just like lean back on the crutch of violence and their yeah. and their fan base that's always going to show up because they always do. Believe me, Shane. <laughs> when I first saw the card for the show, I went, "Do I really want to rewatch? Do I really want to watch the show? Do I really want to watch the show?" And I think I said it. 
a couple times. The only reason we're watching it is because it is on the network. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't on the network, we would not have watched it. Even though I was able to f- probably find it out there in the internets. Yeah, this know. is kind of the equivalent of us watching a Raw where n- nothing, nothing, uh, nothing happens. of note happens. There's no cha- title change. There's nothing, nothing of substance really happens. Yeah, that's what I kept waiting for was... Typically, we have the note sent to us beforehand, so I can like look ahead if I need to, to, if I'm not enjoying stuff, just to see maybe there's something exciting happening. But then we didn't have that, so I was like, "All right, we'll see what happens in the next match." All right, this match is over. Maybe mm-hmm. something happens in the next match. All right, this match is over. Maybe the championship changes hands. It didn't change hands, but no, like I said, there, it wasn't a bad show. There was it was nothing just like, that happens on the show. Happened. Yeah, like it would have been really fun to be at. But literally at the time, there are some really solid matches here. And I think this might be my favorite Sandman match we've ever watched. That with Axel Rotten? With Axel Rotten. I, had, I have the same note yeah. where I'm like, I, because he was forced to work. They were both forced to work. They didn't have to rely I mean, on blood and violence. They did some brawling out into the crowd and everything. But they didn't overdo it. But they didn't, yeah. And there they was, didn't overdo it. And it was, I just thought it was a... All these matches were just really well worked. And like you said, it's a capital W wrestling show yeah that's that was my big takeaway was like they it was they were forced to be less extreme because they're like in the field house of like probably a like the big the high school football field house or whatever and i'm like all right but it proves that that these guys can do they can they can do what they're supposed to be able to do like better as opposed to different they can do you know because even we not not even we because we're not even like we're not deathmatch guys per se, like, that's not our thing, but ECW is a little less than deathmatch wrestling, but we get tired of the blood, and we saw Axel Rotten, like, have a wrestling match, and it was refreshing, as opposed to him and his brother cutting each other with barbed wire for 20 minutes while I yawn. I shouldn't be yawning at blood. So, uh, that is the takeaway for me. So, I think general consensus with this show. It's not a necessary watch. No. An but interesting watch. If it's an interesting watch, especially if these are guys that you don't get to see do the capital W wrestling all yeah. the time. And you want to see that. Lowercase E, capital W. Yeah. If you do everything, there's nothing left. Sometimes you got to wrestle, guys. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Like you said, uh, Axel Rotten Sandman match is probably the best Axel Rotten and Sandman match. But it's not better than, like, Too Cold and Sabu. No. I'm glad Sabu and Too Cold only went 20 minutes this time and not 30. Cause yes. Yes. Like, I thought the 30-minute match, it, while it was good, it was 10 minutes too long because they don't have enough I mean, in this match, they're wasting the last couple minutes by Scorpio just not making pins when it's obvious that you need to make pins. Yeah. Because you're just trying to waste time. Because these guys work too fast. They work fast. Yeah. So it's like 30 minutes is... They don't work 30 minutes the way that, like, Pillman and Johnny B. Bad work 30 minutes or Steamboat and really anybody. But, you know, like, they're not they're not that... They're not of that I mean, quality. I think my favorite match is actually Cactus Jack and Bam Bam. Which was really, really good, too. I think that that was... Cactus has done so... I mean, it's 
silly to give Mick Foley flowers at this point, but here he still knows exactly how to act in this. People know that he's leaving, and he still knows exactly what to do when he's out there considering that. Like, it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all of what you guys have said so far. I mean, the Sandman match was great. The Cactus Shack match was good. The I enjoyed the Scorpio Sabu a little more than the last one, just because, like you said, it was a little shorter. I mean, basically, if you were to look at the two matches, they're the same exact match. It's just they're not doing all the arm and leg work for wasting 10 minutes. Yeah. I think literally they have a good 15-minute match in them. Because even this one, like I at said... At the end, you're like, okay. Like I said, yeah. he's not making a cover, and it's like, okay, You can tell I what's happening. It, I get it. We're going to the time limit. When I got the first call, I knew it was happening. So at the end, I was like, ah, you guys ran yourselves out of shit to do. Yeah. I mean, they set up that, they set up that uh, table spot so perfectly, and then just kind of like went away from it for like like five minutes. Let you forget it was there. Kind of forget yeah. that it's there, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, yeah, and you're going through a table. They did it was like, because yeah. usually with Sabu, it's like literally he sets up the table, and he goes through that table. Like yeah, it was literally probably right the most like, quote-unquote correct table use in a Sabu match so far. Yeah. Because yeah. like, that's the, when, what was it, Champa and Gargano had their big like trilogy or whatever, they did a great job of, in most of those matches of setting the thing up early and then you're like, oh yeah. And when it happened and luckily the camera work was good. So like when it happened, you're like, fuck. And it was very impactful. That's how tables should be used. Yep. How about most disappointing? Pillman just kind of showed up and left. There wasn't much fanfare. I mean, looking back, I mean, we know what's going to happen with Pillman. Yeah. So... The fact that he was there was enough to pop the crowd and yeah. give them something. But it, I'm gonna put if I put my mindset in 1996, and I don't know what's what's gonna happen. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. in the moment. Yes, basically. Why wouldn't you put the belt on fran- on the franchise? Because franchise versus Pillman seems like the money match. Mm-hmm. That's a great match. I want to see that match. I mean, it doesn't need the belt, but. If you, but Fran, the bat, the match, the belt is better if, on if, franchise if, than anybody else. But if somehow Pillman were to win the belt and he's this lunatic, this loose cannon, mm-hmm. like what? You don't know what he's going to do with the belt. You also have the angle of like a guy that just like left WCW angry, and one guy that like went to WWF and it didn't work, and then there, that's like another beautiful angle for them to cut promos on, and both guys can cut promos. And one of them's scary, and the other one's more like calculated and intelligent. So, like, would be a beautiful feud, but we know what's going on. But it is weird that he just like every other time he showed up, it was a more of a big deal, and this was kind of just to pop the crowd. Like, I I literally don't know if we actually ever see that match. Yeah. Back in the like, knowing knowing that Pillman ends up in the WWF before the end of the year. Yeah. I'm like I'm not even sure exactly when he first arrives in WWF. I mean, well, that happens. We'll be excited to see it for sure. But how about best performer of the night? I mean, it's Jack for me, just because, like we said, he knows exactly how to hit all the sweet spots. He he somehow mixes like a promo into a match where the match still 
match feels like a contest, but also feels like it's connected with the promo. Like the promo didn't stop and then gets out of it in the same way, where it feels very like feels like one song or whatever, as opposed to track one being the promo and track two being the match and track three being the the aftermath. It, he strings it together in a more fluid way than most people, especially here in ECW, and does it essentially the rest of his career as far as like in in ring. After that, you know, he's an old man and he's popping the crowd and stuff. And we he's built up so much goodwill for 20 years that it, it doesn't have to do that. But right here, he's a starving artist and really knows how to play the damn notes. Yeah, I'd say... Jack, I'll give a little honorable mention to Sandman just because he came down to start the show, had his match with Axel that was was better than it had any right to be. And then, you know, kind of the same thing, beginning, middle, and end. He was there to start it, gave us something to remember in the the middle of it, and then came down to leave us a, a memory, send us home happy, and the wonderment of what the hell are Sandman and Shane going to be together? Yeah, like Matt said, Sandman is nine one one now, but he's so much more compelling than nine one one because nine one one doesn't have a personality, mm-hmm. and he's too big and was too like powerful. Whereas Sandman is an everyman that has a cane and a beer and a cigarette, and anybody can beat him up. He's just resilient and has a weapon. How about most surprising? I guess Bam Bam. How about the little E Big W? Yeah. Not as much extreme, more wrestling. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that was my that was my big takeaway. Where I was like, "Fuck, why did we watch this?" And then afterwards, I was like, "You know what? It's worth the watch because to see these people in a different element because we see them in one place all the time. And even when they were in New York, it was more like it was less." I mean, it was. It's, it's the same show. It's just in a different location. Yeah, yeah, but like just the things that they can do or can't get away with. It's like in that other building, they could fucking, you know, crucify Kimono Wanalea upside down naked, and it would just be like, oh, it's just ECW. Did that happen? It didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we had no Polly, which it could just be because it's a house show that was recorded and and broadcast. I'm sure he was there, probably yeah. just running on logistics in the back. Yep. Also, he doesn't have nine one one anymore, so it's like, eh. And then again, the the Pillman factor of yeah, I wish we could have got just a little bit more. Yeah. Considering this is a fan cam that's overdubbed by Joey Styles, nice. show is way more watchable I mean, of than the fan cams that we've watched. It's it's the the best fan cam for sure that we've watched as far as the quality and clarity of it. Yeah, for sure. It's not. When it first started up, I was like, shit, and I was like. Easily became not difficult to watch. The guy did a pretty decent job, and it's not so degraded that it's hard to see. It doesn't look that much worse than any other ECW show, as far as like video quality goes. You and your Absolutely. big words. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Oh, Shasquita. What we got this week, man? So this week the category is TikTok. So, five points for whoever guesses the official time of a match closest. Okay. Oh my gosh. And you can go over, under, it's 
whoever's closest, because it's a time thing. So I'm going to give you the show and the match. You're going to give me how long you think that match was. All right. Closest, no over-under. So the show is from Slamboree 1993. Slamboree 1993. The match, I guess, is from Slamboree 1993. Okay. And it is Sid Vicious with Colonel Robert Parker versus Van Hammer. I know it's a memorable, memorable match <laughs> from Slamboree 93. Sid Vicious versus Van Hammer, Slamboree 93. And you're talking like bell to bell. Bell to bell. All right, like the cage match, bell to bell. Yeah. I got my number. Was it a cage match? Oh, no, just like oh. cage, no, no, cage <laughs> match, though, the website. You know, gotcha. the wrestling in... Well, I get my numbers from... Wikipedia. Okay, but just, maybe just it's, so, yeah, it's probably the same number. Just so way. everyone knows yeah. knows hmm. that that's where I get. But it's probably the same on Cage it's Match. Probably at least pretty close. We'll say, shit, I'm trying to remember that match, but I, I don't have two numbers that, that I'm thinking, and I'm going. We'll go for okay. All right, show me those numbers. Michael goes with six minutes and forty-five seconds. Shane goes with one minute and 37 seconds. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shane is closer. What is it? The match was a total of 35 seconds. Damn it. I almost went for 45. But I thought, nah. I, I should have focused on the fact that it was Van Hammer. I was focused on the fact that it was Sid Vicious. And there's like, well, he's not going to go more than fucking 10 minutes. Yeah. But it was Van Hammer. So I'm he's going to like, Van literally, Hammer. Shoulder block, was, shoulder block. I want to say this was Vicious... Return to WCW. Mm-hmm. Literally, Van Hammer came in. They, yeah, shoulder block, shoulder block, chip slam. <laughs> I think was the match. Well, good on you, Shane. I was thinking, Woo. I was not considering the Van Hammer of it all. Although Van Hammer did kind of get a lot of airtime for a little while. He's not done yet. Van Hammer comes back. He's still around. Yep. Yeah. He's, Is he's, he going to play guitar? He's part of Raven's Nest. It's to WCW. Oh. Yeah. And then, I don't remember if that's before or after. Is he part of the general erection and oh, Tits McGee and GI Bro? And I oh. want to say he had a Is this part a real names? Not Tits McGee, but oh. uh, no, general was, erection, yeah. Yeah, it was humorous. GI Bro, Booker T. GI Bro was... Booker T. Uh, it was ma- Major Guns. That's what it was. It wasn't Tits McGee. It was Major Guns. <laughs> Next week, Big Ass Extreme Blast. Oh, the bigger big ass, ass, the better. Extreme Bash. I was oh, going to yeah. say, yeah, Big Ass Extreme Blast does not sound... <laughs> does not yeah. sound good at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe if you have one too many Sandman the Cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a two-night show. Where basically the first night is basically all highlight package, but they throw it on the beginning of the tape, and then the second part of the show, which is in Philly, gets shown to us all. So first so it's, thirty in Queens, second hour ish in their version of the Great American Bash, just split yeah. up over two days instead of three months, something like that. Yeah, the, <laughs> but if you look, uh, if you're out there and you're trying to look for it on the network on Peacock. Uh, don't write in big ass because ass is a dirty word uh, according to Peacock. So just write in extreme bash and you'll be able to find it that mm-hmm. way. 
have a star, star, star or yeah. something. Yeah, that's right. Big, big extreme bash and it'll show up, right? Just that right, bash and yeah, it'll pull up Great American Bash and big ass extreme bash and bash at the beach. <sighs> you'll, sh- you'll find it. I it's it, it's yeah. out there. I promise you'll find it. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss '65, five five, yeah, by Rob Zombie and Raven won our main event. So we play "Come Out and Play" by Offspring. Gotta I'll keep never separated. Get, I'll never get over it. That's his song. It's such a dumb song from that. <laughs> if you like this show or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you just want to talk, tell me what's up. Slide into them DMs. Give me some recipes, maybe a drink idea, something from Pennsylvania. Maybe you're like, you guys should cover DDT. And we'll be like, no, but uh, I don't know. Give me your login. Maybe we'll watch some DDT for fun. Yeah, or, you know, <laughs> tell me your favorite ECW wrestler, and I'll try and find a cocktail or sandwich that, you know, fits their attitude or is their favorite. The shop. <sighs> if anyone knows how to watch Noah wrestling, let us know, because we really want to watch Muda's <laughs> last match. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to get. I know. I know where I, we can probably watch it illegally. I'll send you the link. But they don't want. They don't cover Noah. But they'll cover that. They'll they'll get that link because yeah. it's smooth. But you can email us those at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling h i s t o x. We'll talk to you next week. Later.